Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. We are welcoming a new show to iHeart and the DraftKings YouTube channel. It is called Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano. It's an insider's look at the NBA and the culture surrounding the league. Every week, the five-time All-Star and the number one pick in the 2010 NBA draft, John Wall will give his unique perspective on the hottest topics in the league and tell the best behind-the-scenes stories from his time in the NBA. So check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, the DraftKings YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste, or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. The Volume. Welcome to Hoops Tonight here at The Volume. Happy Monday again, everybody. I hope all of you guys had a great weekend and that your week's off to a good start. We're going twice today because we finally have some NBA news and what has been an exceptionally slow NBA summer. I say exceptionally slow. It's all relative because we have a Damian Lillard trade request that's pending. We have a James Harden trade request that's pending. There's been plenty going on. Uh, But relative to a normal NBA summer, it's been very, very slow. But we finally have something to talk about that's relevant today. So we're going to talk about uh, what this James Harden situation, what we know for sure, the facts surrounding this James Harden situation with the Sixers. I'm going to give you guys basically my interpretation of it. And then at the end, I have seven potential James Harden trades. I scoured the entire league looking for teams that potentially made sense. Some of them are super unlikely. Some of them are kind of likely. Some of them make a lot. A lot of sense. We'll get into all seven of those. You guys know the drill before we get started. Subscribe to the Volumes YouTube channel so you don't miss any more of our videos. Follow me on Twitter at underscore JasonLT so you guys don't miss any show announcements. And if for whatever reason you miss one of these videos and you can't get back over to YouTube to finish, don't forget you can find them wherever you get your podcasts under hoops tonight. All right, let's talk some basketball. So James Harden woke up this morning and chose violence. One of the most aggressive moves in terms of leverage creation in a trade situation that I've seen in my time covering the NBA. He said, quote, at some kind of camp um, that he was at this morning, he said, quote, Daryl Morey is a liar and I will never be a part of an organization that he's a part of. Let me say that again. Daryl Morey is a liar and I will never be a part of an organization that he's a part of, end quote. Whew, that is spicy, to say the least. Um, in my opinion, this is a textbook case of your word against mine, right? We're hearing James Harden's version of the events. And at some point in the future, we may or may not hear Philly's version of the events. It's a little complicated for some reasons that we'll get to in a little bit. But the gist of it is, we're only guessing here. There are some facts, and we're going to go over those, but we're trying to guess what's going on based on those facts because it's we're just hearing James Harden's 
version of the story. So let's go over the facts that we know for sure from this situation. Fact number one, James Harden actually had a $47.4 million player option last summer. A player option that he declined to sign a two-year deal that paid him $33 million last year and then 36 in this upcoming season in another player option. Why did he do that? To help Daryl Morey round out the rest of the roster. Now you might say, oh, he took on additional guaranteed money. He went from 47 million guaranteed to 69 million guaranteed. I get that, but even with Harden's decline, he wasn't going to have trouble getting close to that, even if he had to re-enter free agency the following summer. How do we know? Because we just saw D'Angelo Russell who is a lesser player than James Harden, sign in the same general bar ballpark of about $20 million a year. So had James Harden taken the $47 million and then had to enter free agency, he would have made more money. So fact number one is James Harden did the Sixers a favor by taking a pay cut, allowing them to round up the roster with guys like P.J. Tucker and Daniel House, and, and you guys get the deal. So that's fact number one. Harden did take a discount. Fact number two, at some point uh, over the time since James Harden worked out that deal with Philly to now, the Sixers ended up asking James Harden to test the market as part of the negotiation. We have no idea why, but this was directly reported by Sam Amick from The Athletic, and the dead giveaway was the Rockets rumor. I think it was right around Christmas time last year. We started hearing these weird whispers about James Harden potentially going to the Rockets. Do you think that report came from Philly? Anytime a report leaks, you got to think about who it benefits and who it came out from. A potential offer from the Rockets very clearly benefits James Harden in a potential negotiation with the Sixers. So we can say relatively certainly, and I will consider it a fact in this case, that at some point during the process, the, Rock the uh, Sixers asked James Harden to test the market. The evidence is not just the same AMIC report, but the fact that Harden's camp started putting out all the stuff about the Rockets. Now, it is possible, now this is just theory, this is not fact, it's possible that James actually wanted to go to Houston. I had heard from somebody that's relatively close to the ownership group there that James had a very good personal reason to want to go home. I'll keep that private because it was very, very personal, but there was a reason why James Harden would want to go back to Houston. And when I heard that, I'm like, oh, like, Maybe he really wants to go back there, but that is not a fact. That is just theory based on noise that we hear behind the scenes, right? The facts are Philly asked him to test the market. His camp released a bunch of stuff about Houston, okay? Fact number three, at some point, Philly either called Harden's bluff on the Houston thing or Houston changed their mind. How do we know that? Because Houston signed Fred Van Vliet to a ton of money. And suddenly James Harden had no leverage. Clearly he didn't like the offer that Philly did make to him. So he opted into the $36 million player option and demanded a trade. And then from there we heard that he definitely wanted to go to the Clippers. And then ESPN reports yesterday that they are closing down trade negotiations for James Harden and that they are going to bring him back to camp. And then this morning we have James calling Daryl Morey a liar. Those are our facts. That's basically all we know for sure. James Harden took a discount, they asked him to test the market, and Philly ended up calling his bluff. 
That's what we know. Now, a lot of people in this situation are going to bring up James Harden's history because he's demanded a trade twice before. And I do think James's history is relevant, especially as we look forward into the future. But I do want to distinguish the difference between this particular trade request and what happened in Houston and Brooklyn. In Houston, the team was terrible. His co-star was John Wall. And so he wanted to go play for a better team. And you guys know how I feel about that. I hate seeing really, really good basketball players trapped in bad situations. It's a waste. It almost always brings out the worst in them. I'm cool with guys requesting trades when a team can no longer provide that player with the necessary resources to compete. So I have no problem with this trade request in Houston. We'll talk about what he did in a minute, but I have no problem with the request. Brooklyn, same exact type of thing. That was the year that Kyrie kept leaving the damn team. So, like, James was sick and tired of being in a basketball situation where his co-star, in this case Kyrie Irving, was not as invested in the situation as he wanted them to be. Everything was good in, in that situation until the Kyrie fiasco started. So I don't have a problem with James Harden requesting a trade away from Brooklyn to try to go to a more serious basketball situation. That is all pretty straightforward. This situation is an accusation of dishonesty. Entirely different. I stayed because he made me a promise he went back on that promise, so screw that guy. I'm not working with him again. That's not exactly uncommon in everybody's daily life. I worked in real estate for a while. If you worked with a contractor and that contractor screwed you over, why would you continue to do business with him? That's a totally different type of reasoning behind the trade request. We know for a fact that James felt as though he should have gotten something and he didn't. At least that's the way that he, uh, that he has portrayed the situation. So here's my guess as to what's happened based on the facts that we have. And again, this is just a guess. I would imagine that there was a promise made at some point. Otherwise, James would not have turned down $47 million guaranteed in one year. The only reason you'll ever see a player turn down that kind of immediate guaranteed money is if there is a long-term deal at the end of it. So if James Harden goes, I'm going to turn down the $47 million and I'm going to sign a four-year, $120 million deal. So yeah, he's taking a $17 million pay cut going from 47 to 30, but then he's got another 30 and another 30 and another 30 coming after that. That makes sense. There's no way he would turn down that money for just $22 million additional guaranteed. So I do think that James Harden was promised something. But I think somewhere during the season, there was a souring of the relationship. Because I don't think that the Sixers would just blatantly lie. So I have a feeling that something went south. Who knows? I don't know if it was... Something having to do with the Houston rumor and just how uncomfortable things were. It could be just the way he was playing. Who knows? And it doesn't necessarily have to be Daryl Morey. The focus is on Daryl Morey, so James Harden's leading us to believe that that's the case. But it could just as easily be ownership. Being like, hey, I know we promised this guy, but we don't want to pay him anymore. But at some point, the Sixers reached a point where they no longer felt obligated to hold up their end of the bargain. So they probably feel righteous about it. 
My guess is that it's it, it was a breakup between two parties, not just a lie, but a breakup between two parties. This is where James Harden has done an amazing job of controlling the narrative on his part. Because this this public accusation of Daryl, basically calling him a liar, puts all of the sympathy behind him. And Daryl Morey and the Sixers kind of have their hands tied because they can't really defend themselves because it's a delicate situation. Because technically, you're not allowed to make a promise to pay somebody in the future, like a handshake agreement to sign a, a lesser contract. That's manipulating the CBA. That's illegal. The Sixers actually just got nailed with sanctions last summer surrounding tampering. And making a future promise of compensation at a discount in the in, in, in the current situation is an example of tampering. Tampering is probably the wrong word, but it's a same type of manipulation of the CBA to your own benefit. And so they haven't really had an opportunity to give their end of the story, right? Like they can't just come out and be like, yeah, we did make him a promise, but then he started talking to Houston and threatening to leave. So we were like, okay, if he's threatening to leave, he's not behaving in good faith. So screw him. We're moving forward. Because if they did that, they'd effectively be admitting that they broke the rules. So James Harden has complete control of the narrative in this case. So even though I think more than likely it's two parties that experience kind of a mutual split for one reason or another, James Harden can paint this as a situation where he got screwed over. But we don't know the truth. And it's very possible that James Harden did get screwed over. And so anytime that we're actually talking about this, we have to make sure we color the situation with the appropriate amount of skepticism is, a ba- is basically what I'm saying. But moving forward, I really do think Daryl Morey is crazy enough to bring this dude to camp. Daryl Morey, I would say, is as confident and like, um, I don't know him personally, so I hate saying this kind of stuff, but the word on the street is that Daryl Morey has a, has a, a big ego. And so he's not afraid to to throw down with these guys, right? And so I do think it's very much on the table in a way that it wasn't with some other guys in the past. I do think it's on the table that Daryl Morey brings James Harden to camp. This is where James Harden history enters the equation. It is very hard to imagine a situation where James Harden comes into camp and actually plays hard. Why? Because that is what he did in Houston and Brooklyn. He stopped playing hard in Houston, just dribbling the ball off the floor and throwing weak-ass skip passes for turnovers and jogging back on defense and giving absolute bare minimum effort until they shipped him out the door. Then he was playing his ass off in Brooklyn. Then when he decided that he was done playing in Brooklyn because of Kyrie and his shenanigans, what did he do? He started BSing through the games and not playing hard. Famously, we saw that clip. I, I can't remember what team they were playing. I think it might have been the Raptors, but we're like... He kind of fumbled the ball away and it's rolling into the backcourt and he's just kind of like jogging next to it and just lets the defender just scoop it up off the ground and take it in for a layup. It was embarrassing. It was a really ugly side of it. And as you guys have heard me talk about on this show, I have no problem with trade requests, but I do have problems with unprofessionalism surrounding trade requests. That goes both ways. If Daryl Morey lied, I have a huge problem with that. But I also have a huge problem with James Harden requesting a trade that not being fulfilled necessarily yet and him opting to not play hard. Like, because all that does is hurt your basketball team. It, it reminds me of like, you ever seen like, uh, like two parents who are split, right? So they're separated and they have a baby 
and they have all this resentment towards each other. And so they start engaging in all this like kind of petty behavior. Who ends up suffering? The kid. The kid suffers. The kid pays the price for the juvenile behavior of the parents. That happens all the time in, in divided households in America, right? Who pays the price for a public beef between Daryl Morey and James Harden? Because if, if, if James Harden comes to camp, he's going to end up playing poorly and bringing a bad attitude. That's going to hurt the team, right? If Daryl Morey is super stingy and decides I'm not trading James Harden for less than a star, then it drags out longer. So both of them are culpable. Who pays the price? Joel Embiid, Tyrese Maxey, Tobias Harris, Nick Nurse. Those guys pay the price. And so I hope, regardless of what the truth of the situation is, I hope they just make a trade. Because I'm not interested in seeing another prime Joel Embiid season wasted with a roster that can't compete. I'm not interested in seeing a good basketball team with good players that I like. Tyrese Maxey is one of my favorite young players in the league. I, I ran into him in Vegas, I think, last year. And when everyone else is out doing their thing, he was working his ass off in the gym. Just getting really good offseason work in. Like, like I, I love Tyrese Max. He's one of my favorite young players. I want to see that dude playing in a competent basketball situation. Love Tobias Harris. Jo- Joel Embiid, I, I had him at five in my player rankings earlier today, which a lot of people disagreed with. But, like, I'm rooting for Joel Embiid. And so this whole thing is just stupid, and I, and I hope it gets sorted out sooner than later. Now, before we look at some potential trade destinations, we're going to do, like, a really super you know, abbreviated version of the player rankings kind of like rehab, uh, recaps that we did for James Harden because I didn't have him in my top 25, but we might as well take a quick look at him since we're trying to gauge his value around the league. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yeah, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Angie's List is now Angie, the nation's largest home services marketplace. They're here to help homeowners get all their jobs done well. Angie has helped over 150 million homeowners care for their homes. Whatever your home project, big or small, indoor or outdoor, Come to Angie to connect with and hire skilled professionals to get the job done well. It's something that I've always been a big believer in. When Usually when you try to take on a project that you don't know how to do, it ends up just being a bigger headache as you try to learn and then you end up making mistakes and it ends up just not being worth it. Not only can a professional get the job done more efficiently, but you're also supporting local businesses in your area. With over 200,000 pros in their network, Angie makes it easy to research, compare, and hire pros to ensure a job is done well. With 29 years of experience, combined with 
with new digital tools to simplify the process, Angie makes completing home projects easy. Angie has cost guides to tell you what others have paid for similar projects both nationally and in your area. The app is free and easy to use. We all know the difficulties that can come with home projects. Angie makes tackling your project as simple as possible from start to finish. Turn to Angie with confidence, even for major renovations or emergency repairs. Are you renting? Even renters can come to Angie for moving installations and cleaning. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com or download the app today. What does it look like to trade for James Harden in the year 2023? In my player rankings, he was honorable mention. He was in that group of 14 guys that was after the 25. But I had him in a group of four guys that I was considering for the 25th spot. You guys remember I was considering either Trey Young, John Morant, James Harden, or Bradley Beal for that 25th spot, and I opted with Trey to, to go with Trey Young, but you could kind of simplify that down to, I view James Harden as around the 30th best player in the world. Quick recap of his season, 21 points, 6 rebounds, and 11 assists per game, 61% true shooting, so decent scoring volume, very good efficiency, and he led the league in assists per game. He is still one of the very best pick-and-roll ball handlers in the league. If you remember our 1,000-plus pick-and-roll list, so the guys who ran at least 1,000 pick-and-rolls, Harden ranked fourth out of 15 players at 1.08 points per possession. Now, a couple things for context. Joel Embiid was the best role man in the league last year in terms of points scored in uh, role role man situations. And James Harden passed out of pick-and-roll way more than his peers, uh, more than two-thirds of the time, actually. And he was far less effective when he was shooting out of pick and roll. He actually only averaged 0.91 points per possession when he shot out of pick and roll. Out of 51 players in the NBA to shoot at least 300 times in pick and roll, James ranked 35th, which is in the bottom, you know, half there, bottom third-ish, right? So he definitely is less effective shooting out of pick and roll than he is passing, but he's a great passer out of pick and roll. Even if we acknowledge that Embiid helps that a lot, James Harden can pass the basketball. He is still one of the best ISO players in the league. Our uh, 250 ISO list, so there's 25 players in the league who ran at least 250 ISOs. He was fourth on that list, 1.11 points per possession. Now, again, we have to kind of obligatory mention the heliocentrism piece here. Anytime you're a player like James Harden that dribbles the air out of the basketball, it tends to inflate your per-possession numbers and not necessarily help the team a ton. But it's worth mentioning, per-possession and ISO, James Harden was still damn effective last year. Shot-making numbers were really good everywhere but the rim. 65% effective field goal percentage in catch-and-shoot jumpers. That's off the charts good. And we're going to get to that a lot when we're talking about potential trades because James Harden is a deadly spot-up player, including knocking down what was the game-winning three in, I can't even remember which game it was against Boston, but the corner three on the kick-out from Joel Embiid. He is a deadly spot-up shooter and a deadly closeout attacker. So he does have a lot of off-ball value there that we're going to get to when we talk about trades. 53% effective field goal percentage on pull-up jumpers. That's very good. Anything over 50% is really, really good. Um, high 40s is, is acceptable in, in this type of situation. So he's a good pull-up shooter. He made 60 pull-up twos this year inside the three-point line. That's more than he's made in years and years. He's starting to add some variety there. 45% on floaters. That's okay. Um, and then his rim finishing is where you're seeing the decline. He was at 1.8 restricted area makes per game this year on 58% shooting. To give you an idea, in his MVP season, he was at 3.9 restricted area makes per game on 62% true shooting, which was second in the entire league among guards, uh, second to Russell Westbrook. So he went from being one of the best paint pressure guards in the league who uh, was twice as as uh, good in volume and, and, and much more efficient getting to the rim to what he is now, which is a guy who doesn't really get to the rim much anymore at all. 
Defensively, he's a bad perimeter defender who needs to be stashed. That's why Philly used DeAnthony Melton in most of their point of attack assignments last year. Uh, he's a good switch defender, though. He holds up pretty well against bigger players that try to bully him. So at best, if you have good defensive personnel around you, he won't hurt you. Uh, but he certainly is not going to help you on that end of the floor. And there are, there are going to be a lot of random mistakes like jogging back in transition, mix, missing box outs, things like that. I do think the overall good of the offense outweighs the bad of the defense. And, and on the right roster, I don't think it would hurt you too badly because of his relatively decent size for the position. Playoffs were super weird for James Harden this year. Super up and down. Like he had 40 plus in a game twice and hit game winners in both of those games. Like you can't just shrug that away as nothing. He stole two playoff games that the Sixers probably lose otherwise. But it was awful in almost every other game. He shot below 30%. Not like in the 20s or worse. He shot below 30% in six of the 11 games. These are actual shooting numbers from James Harden in playoff games just this season. Two for 14, three for 14, four for 18, three for 13, four for 16, three for 11. So it was like as good as he was at his highs, his lows were incredibly low, painfully low. The Sixers were 6-0 and in games where he scored at least 17 points in this playoff run. How crazy is that? Undefeated when he got at least 17 points, but he failed to score 17 points in five of the 11 games. And they lost all but one of those games, including all four of them in the Celtics series, which got them beat. So kind of like in summation, just tie it all together. He's still an excellent offensive fulcrum. He's great eating in innings in the regular season. Even better if you compare him with a legit role man, someone that he can set up for good opportunities. But he's more inconsistent in the playoffs than ever. So you cannot have him in a position where you depend on his production. And defensively, obviously, he has a, a certain amount of limitations. So, sounds about par for the course for around the 30th best player in the league. But this is where Daryl Morey and his concept of trade value gets a little bit out of whack. Because the last time we saw a player in this range get traded was probably DeJounte Murray. And he went for Danilo Gallinari and three first-round picks. And that was... DeJounte Murray, the young player on the rise, not James Harden on the decline. In fact, a better comp for a trade for James Harden is probably something closer to Chris Paul. Chris Paul went for Jordan Poole, who's a flawed but interesting young player, and one heavily protected first-round pick, top 20 protected, and a second-round pick. Like, that's a, that, that, that's, that's a better example of what you're going to get. If you get a singularly good player back, it's probably going to be either a young and flawed player or an older declining player, and you might get a tiny bit of draft compensation. So the reality is, is Daryl Morey is going to have to eventually potentially trade James Harden for somewhat somewhat of a decline in return. I it's not I'm not going to say it's impossible. He ended up you know making the uh, uh, being super stingy about the Ben Simmons deal, and that ended up getting him James Harden. So maybe he'll get to take another victory lap, but I do think that he has to be a little bit more realistic about what potential return looks like for James Harden. So here we go. We're going to take a look at seven potential teams that could trade for James Harden. Really quickly before we get started, what teams make sense for James Harden? What kind of teams? In my opinion, I wrote down three things. A team that lacks ball handling, but has a great pick and roll screener. So a team that really just needs a pick-and-roll ball handler, like a good big that needs to be kind of set up in positions where he has an advantage, but a team that really needs ball handling. Two, a team that has the necessary defensive personnel to hide him. 
You put him on a situation where he's alongside other bad perimeter defenders, your defense is going to be horrible. He essentially has to take on a wing defensive role. And you have to have a wing that can take a perimeter defensive role or a good guard alongside him that can take that kind of role. And then lastly, they have to be close enough to contention to actually justify making a trade. I came up with seven teams. One of them was the team that James Harden actually wanted. This is the Clippers. It made some sense, right? Good pick and roll partner in in Ivica Zubak. Um, good defensive personnel who can take perimeter assignments in Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, Terrence Mann. Um, they need ball handling, although they do have Russ, but Russ is a trade, a tradable contract. Um, kind of would be like a lower ceiling, higher floor version of Russ, right? Um, but it sounds like Daryl Morey from all reporting wants Terrence Mann in the deal. And you cannot give up Dar- a Terrence Mann in that deal because he's one of the most valuable archetypes of players in the league, in my opinion, when it comes to the playoffs. He's that shorter wing or taller guard, whatever you want to call it, the guy between 6'4 and 6'6 who's really big and strong, freaky athletic, and just does all of the dirty work well. Can take lead perimeter defense assignments, can bring the ball up the floor if you need it, can screen and roll to the basket as a screener, can run the occasional pick and roll, can attack and transition and beat mismatches. Like, Terrence Mann is the type of player that Bruce Brown is, and we've seen how valuable that is. You cannot afford to give that up in a deal for James Harden because that could end up being a net loss for you. But I do understand why Daryl Morey is holding out for Terrence Mann in this case, although the Clippers do make some sense. You could get some version of the deal done for like Norman Powell and Nicholas Batum. Again, I could see why Morey's holding out, but that gives you a decent ball handler back in Norman Powell and a legitimate wing in Nick, uh, in Nick Batum, although he's had some playoff struggles himself. Next is a team that makes all the sense in the world, but I think will never happen. And that is, uh, I'll actually give you guys a chance to make a guess. Think about what I was saying. Doesn't need James Harden to do all the lead scoring because they have someone who has that spot. An excellent role man, good defensive personnel, needs some ball handling. Take a guess. I put down the Miami Heat. They make all the sense in the world. They desperately need ball handling. They have an excellent role man in Bam. They have a more dependable star in Jimmy Butler that you can count on in big moments. And they have the defensive personnel to hide it. Eric Spolster in particular has a gift for hiding the weaknesses of his players. And they have some trade pieces that actually make good sense from the standpoint of value. Like Tyler Harrow seems like a really weak centerpiece for Damian Lillard trade. And I understand that. But he's kind of perfect for Harden trade. Like you can get the deal done probably with Tyler Harrow and Caleb Martin for James Harden. But despite that making all the sense in the world, it's never going to happen. For two reasons. One... He's the furthest thing from heat culture. Consistently overweight, inconsistent effort guy, not the kind of guy that they're going to want to bring in-house. But secondly, they're holding out for Dame, and they should. So, But like maybe, just in the, in the unique situation where some team comes in and steals Dame, and Harden is still available, I could see potentially just the tiniest crack of a window them going after someone like James Harden as a backup plan. But I just, I think that they... I would imagine in-house Miami goes like, screw that. We're, we're not we're not taking him on. But let's uh, let's spitball some other options. So again, we need uh, uh, a lack of ball handling, a good role man, good defensive personnel. Uh, a couple teams I threw down. The Milwaukee Bucks. The only iteration of this trade that makes any sense would be a straight-up Drew Holiday for James Harden trade. That would be great return for Philly because they're getting back a similar level of player, even though a different archetype in Drew Holiday and fits their timeline. Uh, Makes some basketball sense for Milwaukee. You get uh, a really good pick-and-roll passer to partner with Giannis and Brook Lopez, a guy who could really help set up Giannis with easy opportunities, which is not something he gets a ton of currently with the Bucs. But it fundamentally changes the identity of the Bucs. 
by makes them a significantly worse defensive team, although it does make them a better offensive team, in my opinion. It's way too big of a risk. So I think this one's incredibly unlikely, but they are a team that makes some sense potentially as a hardened destination. Again, guys, I'm going with a wide net here. There are going to be some ridiculous ones in here. Next, the New York Knicks. The structure of the deal would look something like R.J. Barrett and Evan Fournier. For James Harden and Furkan Korkmaz. Now, doesn't make a ton of basketball sense because one complicates the Knicks' ball handling a little bit. They already like to split duties between Julius Randle and Jalen Brunson, so you're bringing a third guy in there. Uh, you know, Isaiah Hartenstein and Mitchell Robinson are good role men, but not great role men. Uh, on defense, they don't really have a guy you could take point of attack assignments unless you bring Josh Hart into that uh, position and like then you kind of become a little bit undersized. So I, I don't love it, but here's the case. The case is R.J. Barrett is already kind of a clunky fit there. Like, it, they just don't have the spacing to really weaponize his ridiculous left-hand drive, which is almost unguardable when you give him room. Um, that's a good young player that Daryl Morey might view as, you know, appropriate compensation for James Harden. And then on the Knicks, James Harden is an excellent spot-up player. 1.15 points per possession. Like I said, that's excellent. 65%. Effective field goal percentage on catch and shoot jumpers, and the Knicks really need spot up shooting. So he would essentially enter into like a new phase of his career with the Knicks as like a secondary ball handler, runs bench units, and then takes a ton of spot up threes. Basically, what D'Angelo Russell is for the Los Angeles Lakers. That's kind of what I see in a, a potential Knicks Sixers trade. I don't love that trade for either team, but it's on the table as reasonable enough. The Brooklyn Nets. I actually kind of like this one. The structure of the deal would look like Spencer Dinwiddie and Dorian Finney-Smith for James Harden. Puts together a very interesting Nets lineup. Imagine James Harden, Mikhail Bridges, Cam Johnson, and Nick Claxton with some other guard at the two, right? Someone like Royce O'Neal or Lonnie Walker. You also have Ben Simmons in the mix there if he, if he makes any sense to play. Um... James Harden and Mikael Bridges are actually a really good fit because Mikael Bridges went up a huge level as a scorer when he went to Brooklyn, but he's still not a very good passer. So you have like a pass first guard that's setting everybody up, and then you have a guy who can be kind of your primary shot maker in Mikael Bridges, right? And, you know, you're essentially massively upgrading Dinwiddie for the expense of Dorian Finney-Smith. Now, Dorian Finney-Smith is a luxury for you because Cam Johnson and, and, and Mikael Bridges are forwards for you. you got... Ben Simmons is a forward for you, so you've got kind of like a surplus, right? Dorian Finney-Smith is probably the kind of player that they'd be looking to trade for a first-round pick around the deadline, right? So you're basically looking at it as Dinwiddie and a player with a value of about a first-round pick to massively upgrade Spencer Dinwiddie to a better player in James Harden. Um, I think it makes their offense more credible, makes them much more entertaining, not contention status, but it makes them more entertaining. For Philly, you pitch it to like to Embiid like this. You're essentially saying, hey, James Harden's not a good playoff player anyway, so Dinwiddie might kind of be like a even trade for you is the way you kind of pitch it to, to Joel Embiid, right? And then Dorian Finney-Smith is a very interesting type of forward to add to that Philly roster from the standpoint of what happened when P.J. Tucker was on the floor last year. The Celtics in particular towards the end of that series were just flat out ignoring him to throw double teams around. So getting Dorian Finney-Smith out there, totally different type of player than P.J. Tucker. He's the long athletic wing as opposed to the short stocky wing, but he kind of fills a similar type of position, can take similar responsibilities, and he's a credible corner three-point shooter who actually gives you better spacing in those situations. 
Uh, you can imagine a lineup of Tyrese Maxey with Spencer Dinwiddie, Dorian Finney-Smith, Tobias Harris, and Joel Embiid. That's actually interesting enough to make this deal plausible, and you could make the case that given Harden's inconsistencies in the playoffs, that's actually a better team. So that's kind of an example of a trade that might make both teams better. The Minnesota Timberwolves. I have two versions of this trade. It'd either be Mike Conley and Kyle Anderson for James Harden. Again, same type of vibe for Philly. You're getting you're getting replacement ball handling for James Harden, and you're improving at forward, right? So a similar type of deal to the Dinwiddie, Dorian Finney-Smith type of deal. Um, another version of that trade would be Carl Towns. You uh, straight up make the deal just Carl Towns for James Harden. It bails the Wolves out of their weird two-big setup and kind of passes that problem along to Philly. Gives him a good change up to Ant's fastball. Like, and th- that's kind of the gen- the genesis of this idea. Like, James Harden is like a pass first pick and roll guard playing alongside the like downhill, crazy, you know, tunnel vision type of scoring of Anthony Edwards. I kind of like that fit potentially. Ant also is a much better perimeter defender that can take those lead perimeter assignments. And for the Sixers, in that case, you get back Carl Towns. So you get a star for James Harden, which is something that. Uh, Daryl Morey is obsessed with. Now, that opens up a whole other can of worms in terms of clunky fit for Philly with Carl Towns and Joel Embiid, but you can either try to make that work and just see what happens, or you have an option at least to go into training camp, and then if Daryl Morey wants to be super patient and make another Carl Towns trade on a timeline that makes sense without bringing toxicity into training camp, it kind of buys him time in that sense, although that's not super fair to Carl Towns to potentially be traded twice in a year. But the, uh, again, Timberwolves super unlikely, but I just threw them out there as an option. The New Orleans Pelicans, it'd be a CJ McCollum for James Harden straight up type of deal for this. Both teams pitch it as upgrades, right? Uh, if you're a Pelicans fan that's been somewhat disappointed with CJ McCollum, you're bringing in a better passer in James Harden who uh, can run action with Zion Williamson if he ever gets healthy and gets back on the court, an ideal kind of pick-and-roll passer for Zion Williamson. Obviously, it's a pass-first guy to go along with that scoring wing and Brandon Ingram. That's kind of the way you look at it. And again, for the Sixers, you're you're looking Embiid in the face and you're being like, C.J. McCollum's a better playoff player. He won't have the highs of James Harden, but he'll be more consistent. Like, let's get C.J. McCollum. It's like classic kind of like swap where like, both teams just are talking themselves into a moderate improvement at the position because of different play styles, right? The last team I put, and this is actually a team that I think makes the most sense to me, the Toronto Raptors. The Raptors have one of the weakest guard cores in the league. As of right now, it's basically Dennis Schroeder and Gary Trent Jr. And I really like Dennis Schroeder, and I told Raptors fans, I'm excited for you guys. You're you're going to like Dennis. But that's not good enough at guard. So the and you have a plethora of forwards. So the general structure of this deal would be OG Ananobi and Chris Boucher for James Harden, and then Philly might have to include some sort of additional compensation depending on how much Toronto values OG Ananobi. But in this case, Daryl Morey gets back a young star in OG Ananobi, so he can talk himself into star return, and they improve in depth at forward with Chris Boucher, right? And in general with OG Ananobi. Toronto, in this case, massively upgrades at guard. Now you have James Harden to put alongside Pascal Siakam and Scotty Barnes and all of the other wing talent that they have on that roster. Now, if you're Philly and you're like, we need a guard in this deal, you can kind of adjust the trade. I think it would be 
you'd add in uh, Gary Trent Jr. and ends up being like Gary Trent Jr., OG Ananobi, and Chris Boucher for James Harden, Furkan Korkmaz, and P.J. Tucker is essentially how that works. Uh, but I, I, I like this trade for both teams because it's like a surplus uh, a situation where it's like for Philly, you, you're stuck in this shitty situation. You need to find a way to bring back meaningful talent. OG Ananobi is that guy. Uh, if you bring back Gary Trent Jr. in the deal as well, you've got shooting off the ball and a little bit of movement shooting as well. And then for the Raptors, it's, dude, we need guards. We need guards. Let's let's bring back James Harden. He's past first guard. He'll set up our forwards with better spots on the floor with advantage situations. That's kind of the way you look at it there. So I think that might have been eight. Let's see. Raptors, Pelicans, Timberwolves. That's four. Nets, five. Knicks, six. Heat, seven. And then Clippers eight and Bucks nine. So, or uh really nine? Eight, nine, something like that. A lot of trades. You, I'm messing up the counting. I see Clippers, Bucks, Heat, Knicks, Nets, Wolves, Pelicans, Raptors. Eight. Okay, so we got eight potential James Harden trades, uh, James Harden trades there. So we misbranded the episode. But um again, I I just want the trade to go down because I don't want to see Philly go in with a bunch of of uh, of drama going into training camp. I'm not taking sides in this at all whatsoever. I'll, I do think it's important to point out that James Harden is in a better position to control the narrative, though, and that most likely the Sixers had a certain reason to behave the way that they did in this particular negotiation. There's always two sides to a story. All right, guys, that is all I have for today. As always, I sincerely appreciate your support. We will be back tomorrow with number four in our player rankings. Take a guess at who that's going to be. I'll see you guys then. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. It's Freddie Prinze Jr. and Jeff Dye back in the ring. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. Hey, Jeff, are you ready to rumble our way into an all-new season of Wrestling with Freddie? You better believe I have. I've been practicing my body slams, and I'm jacked. All right, don't go injuring yourself now. We'll be highlighting the best stories and matches of the week in wrestling from AEW, WWE, and have one-on-one -on -one talks with the best talents in the world of pro wrestling. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying... A, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, love at first, first listen. listen. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. With new segments, correspondence, and a new sound... Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Dura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.